interesting week in Welsh rugby, to say the least. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. We'll look back 50 years to the famous Barbarians' victory over the All Blacks in Cardiff. That dramatic start, with Gareth Edwards scoring the opening try, arguably the greatest ever in the greatest ever game, with an opportunity to buy his match shirt from that day. We'll start with the ongoing contract negotiations at the professional rugby board level and the fallout from that this week. To explain the point of view from within the Wales squad, former captain Alwyn Jones and coach Warren Gatland face the Welsh press. We understand the frustrations by the players and that things haven't been sorted out between the union and the regions and PRGB, which is a joint body equally shared by the regions and, and by the union to collectively hopefully f- to get an agreement. I'm in complete support of the players in terms of the WRPA which to me in my time here has been incredibly weak as an organisation and I've stressed on a number of occasions to the players that they need to be stronger, they need to have more voice, voices, be, they need to be around the table from, from a consultation point of view. So the fact that from that regard I think it's a huge positive for the players and that relationship with the union going forward because they need to be part of the, all the discussions that take place and so I'm sure the players and, and like us we would like things resolved hopefully as quick as possible. These things have been going on for a long time and but all I can focus is, is concentrating and preparing on the game and you know that stuff is, is outside my remit. I'm just planning for um, England next week. You say the players, have, it's been a weak organisation. If yep. the players decided over the next few days they weren't going to play that game. Do you support? Um, no, no. I mean, I completely support the stance that they're taking in terms of wanting to get some resolution about the, the issues that they have. But I think there's a lot more in things at stake in terms of ensuring that that fixture does take place. But, you know, that's, like I've said, I'm supportive of, of the players and the things that they've trying to do and my role is just to prepare the team for, for next week. The players have been great in the last few days in terms of the way that they've they've, they've got a, a side issue, a separate issue that they want sorted but when it's come to the rugby in terms of preparing for the game they've been fantastic in the way that they've prepared in the last few days and obviously there's been ongoing discussions with them and with hopefully with the union and the PRGB to get things sorted out so with regard to that you can't blame the players for being offered contracts and money. I mean, how can you blame the players for accepting contracts? In no way is it their fault that those contracts have been negotiated by the regions or the agents through the players. The bottom line is that you know, we've been overspending in Wales for a number of years and some of the regions in, in financial difficulty. That's the situation. These guys are not representing the Welsh rugby team. They're representing everybody in Wales and every player in Wales who are back at their regions who are got uncertain futures and you know there's a huge amount at stake about where the game goes and what goes forward and you know are we going to have four regions are we going to be three regions or two regions and then that that affects a lot of people and so you know a lot of players in the squad because they're international players from my regard are probably a little bit more secure than the players in, in the regions who currently haven't been offered contracts or are unsure of the future and my understanding is that's what what they're fighting for. It's not about these guys versus the WRU, it's about a collective group of 
all the players in Wales wanting to get a resolution from the issues that have been been faced. It is a collective and it's it's the game itself and the population, the playing population in, in Wales at this current time. I think I'd like to take the opportunity to thank on behalf of the players the support that has been shown from the public and ex-players, particularly in the last you know, 24 hours a week because of obviously things appear to have come to a head. It's just disappointing that as players a lot of them are in court in the middle again. You know, it's the perennial conversation about funding, who has what, caught in the middle between PRB and the regions and the union. And it's disappointing that you know we're 20 years into regional rugby, and you know it's the same things that have come around again. We've had uh, banding system, project reset. You know, I remember 2019 we met about potential mergers, and the game has survived all of those things and I, unfortunately it's, it's come to a point now where people are being affected, um, there's potential to affect families and the difficulty is there's almost a, a restraint in the fact of players are coming to a point where they have no option. This current period has come to a head after 18 months, this was supposed to be sorted a long time ago and it's come to a head in the fact that even players that might find the opportunity or had the opportunity to go somewhere else might not get that now because other teams are filling their rosters. Obviously we appreciate there's a strain uh, you know, everywhere financially because of the pandemic, etc. and people are still recovering. But again, I stress the fact that the players haven't had a voice, whether it be through the WRPA uh, and decisions have been unilaterally made or we find out from you guys what's happening with people's futures, which isn't ideal in any professional environment or work environment. And I think that's the, the disappointing thing. Just on a similar theme to what Aaron Wynn was mentioning, really, can you comprehend that four years ago, prior to that Scotland game up in Murrayfield, there were discussions. Can you comprehend that this uh, uncertainty in a different guise is still engulfing Welsh rugby? I think it's a collective responsibility, and I mentioned about the Players' Association, and Alan will know that for a number of years I've stressed to them that you need to be stronger as a group, you need to have a voice, you need to have a voice on PRGB, you need to be involved in uh, you know, things like the 60 cap rule, how that affects players, whatever issues are and I think you know, it's come to a time now where there is hopefully going to be uh, a much stronger voice around the table and it's, yeah, it's disappointing that we've got issues at the moment that have been ongoing and, and we haven't been able to to find an agreement over a period. I think there's been frustrations from both sides and from players, it's, it's finally come to a head. I think we're very fortunate. We, we, we're all involved in a sport and a job that we love. And you know, to, to fathom the fact that we, you know, there's talk that we might not do that because the severity of the situation is very real, but it's the last thing we want to do. I thought Brad Davis did an excellent piece about the situation. I, I can tell you, every player wants to play rugby and we're fully aware of the privilege that we have, whether it be regional, international, but we can't have, be under the guillotine and be used the, the emotive side of things when, you know, ultimately this is a career, this is a job. And again, being caught in the middle and being not, I suppose, held to ransom at times on other people's issues with the same people that are in the regions that have issued these contracts and now the same people that are trying to get out of it. It's quite hard to fathom having been involved in the game in Wales for such a long time. In view of what you said, you, you do regard a strike for the England game as a very real possibility at this stage? Um, I suppose it is. It would be hard to deny. It's the very last option. There are people really impassioned. I think ultimately if you treat people badly for long enough, you get to where we, we find ourselves. And again, 
we realise what we do and how fortunate we are to do it. But if this was any other line of work, other any other industry for this period of time, with this amount of uncertainty, you'd get the same reaction. And we're very respectful to society as a whole. But it comes to a point now where the, the game has to make a decision in which direction, or the game in Wales has to make a decision in which way, which direction it wants to go. So you'd say there's there's an element of regret and sadness, I guess, would be the word that, that it's come to this point for the players. Very much so, but I think, again, what, what Gat said, you don't want to see players in their early 20s not knowing where their career is going to go. You want to do it in the enjoyment sense of have opportunity and go anywhere, but they're curtailed at the minute with sort of the, some of the conditions, and like I alluded to earlier, the unilateral decisions that have been made, the lack of negotiation, so you're almost boxed in as a player with no option, which isn't ideal for anyone. As Gat's point about the vo having a voice, it's funny at times, we just want to ear in the room to know what's going on. I think that's as good as, yes, we want a voice as well. Um, we've discussed about the 60 cap rule, reviewing that, if not scrapping it, because I think that's been come out, so I'm comfortable in saying that. And obviously the, the, the fixed variable part of the contract, which again is the, the constraints. Now I know there's rebalances and things that have to be addressed financially, we're all fully aware of that. But again, it comes down to people being boxed in in their options on both sides with the 60 cap rule and obviously the, the contractual obligations. So it's ultimately in motion now because the dialogue has been had and again as players we, we've voiced our concerns, we've, we've done that probably through a bit more of a messy way than we would like to because of certain things in you know, the last 24, 48 hours but it's ultimately down to the regions of the union now to work on an option because again I stress like that said and as a speaker on behalf of the player group and the players as well as we just want to play rugby we want to get back to normal and enjoy what we do. Selected or not, but I'm not involved. I still feel like I'm playing. I want to get back to the job, but also I think to protect the game and ensure that the game goes well for the generations to come, we need to sort this out now. We can't go back into this cycle of uncertainty because it's not healthy. You're listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Let's head back to simpler times in some ways. And the heady days when the Welsh stars of the 70s led the way as the Barbarians beat the All Blacks in Cardiff and arguably the game of the century. Gareth Edwards scored the opening try, the greatest try as it's been dubbed. At a recent celebration event there was a chance to catch up with the great man himself. I mean Gareth... You, you, all that time ago, you'd never imagined we'd be back here 50 years later, would you? Well, no, certainly not. I mean, even though, you know, to say that you thought it was something special, uh, the noise from the crowd was uh, almost deafening. We always loved playing at the Arms Park, but this was a barbarian side, I know that. But we were part of them, they were a part of us. And they, I think they were all hungry to sort of visualise personally what had gone on in New Zealand a couple of years before. So there was a great anticipation. And with the Barbers logo on our shirts, the way in which they historically play, people are looking forward to it. But we couldn't have ever envisaged, we couldn't have ever dreamt of that kind of start. But what it did do, of course, more than anything, was set the scene. It got everybody in the right mood. The All Blacks entered into the spirit of it. They had some great moves, some great tries. But we still had the desire within the team. We were 
almost scared of playing the All Blacks who'd been together for three months, knowing the benefits of that from our own experience of touring against a side who had just come together two days before. Um, you've heard, uh, and, and it's worth retelling, you know, that uh, we begged the Barbarians Committee, could we have Carwin to help us? Uh, they were a bit loath and reluctant for that, but they did say, yes, okay, but he's not allowed on the field, but he can stay on the touchline and he can, he can shout to you uh, orders and, uh, and opinions from there. So our preparation came up, and then it's, it's just the side coming together, and uh, virtually it wasn't the case of not knowing one another, we all knew one another, and of course they had the tradition also of bringing in an uncapped player, Bob Wilkinson, bless him, great. But the whole thing was almost surreal, of preparing to play one of your biggest matches against the great all-black side. What was going to happen? Will it work? Will it do this? That, that, that. We, hadn't, we hadn't worked out any moves or anything like that. We were just going to play barbarian-style rugby. So when that ball, it was very frantic and frenetic start, as we all know. You don't need me to remind you of Dramatic that. Starting. Dramatic starting. <laughs> as, as Cliff said, yes. Yes, as Cliff said. But it isn't confusion, but it, it was all, oh, what, what is happening? What's happening now? And... And then the improvisation of players of that era to be able to adapt to what was in front of them and play. We see it all the time, even today, even in the professional game, play what is in front of you. And that's what we had to do, really. Now, to see it unfold, I couldn't believe it because I was running backwards. I thought it was going to go into touch. I thought I was going to have time. I thought a lot of things. But I was going back when, in actual fact, the move was all coming towards me, which is why I had a sort of, if you have a good look at it, I was going like, I'm not interfering with play, I'm just getting out of the way. And then turning round and thinking, oh my word, I better get there as a scrum half. Or they'll be telling me I'm unfit and all that again, you know, you guys that is. So I just chased it. And to say the rest was history is to simplify it, but... I sort of had to work hard to get into position, not thinking about scoring, just to continue the, the movement. And then, of course, I think the fact that I had to come from afar and get through on it and that gave me a little bit of a head start. And Joe Karam, who must have been a bit confused with John Bevan on my left and what was happening, really didn't quite gauge it right. So I was through, through the gap in a way. And, of course, one of the few injuries I had in my career was a hamstring tears and pulls. I did pray, please, God, don't let it go now, you know, as I, as I was tearing down the touchline. And when I scored and came back, it's difficult to explain what that noise felt like. And... I'd only experienced it on few occasions, even though there'd been loads of occasions when I'd, we'd scored or done something good with weight. That noise was deafening, virtually. And so we knew it was something maybe fairly special. But more importantly, as I said more than once, uh, and don't underestimate that, it galvanised us all and it gave us all that confidence to approach maybe and play the game that we had in New Zealand a couple of years before or 18 months before. But the biggest fear we still had was we were playing an all-black side who'd been together 
Now, the last thing we wanted was a pasting on our own ground, right? So you lived with this fear, and really, of course, they scored some great tries, and it could have, and it could have slipped away. So did we scored a few more, but to be part of that, there was lots of mistakes. There's lots of this and lots of that. And that's a fascination. When you look back on it, even if it's 50 years ago, you look at it again and you think, God, we were lucky then. <laughs> we could have done that, could have done this, did that. But it was the satisfaction of having beaten New Zealand. That's what you can't, you, you can't overstate. Because when I was coming back and all this crowd in the South Stand were like erupting, I was thinking, oh, I wish this was the last three minutes, not the, <laughs> not the first three minutes. Because we knew what was coming, you know, which of course it did. You scored, obviously, some, some great tries, a lot of important yeah. tries. I'm guessing the top two are that one and the muddy face try against yeah. Scotland. Which is your favourite? Well, I haven't really, if I was perfectly honest, you know. Because uh, they're both different in many ways. Uh, we asked when I retired, which was my greatest moment, and I think the people chose, from a team point of view, it would have been the Barbarians. Of, from the individual point of view, people in the Western Mail ran a competition when I retired, and that's how they chose it, and they found it difficult to choose, and there was nothing in it. No, it's fascinating. I suppose it's like a centre-forward. It's not the number of goals you score, it's what you remember about it and how important it was at the time. I can remember scoring a try from here to there and thinking, God, that's, a, that's the most important try I've scored, you know, and how important it was at that time. So, yeah, in the context of what we're all trying to say and describe to you, that was a complete team try, wasn't it, really? But, hey, and don't forget, no, we hadn't been out there practising it all the way. It was just, it's a lovely word, improvisation. It was actually moving the ball, getting there, having not prepared for it and seeing it work. I think that was the beauty of the game at that time. And now there's a chance for someone to buy Gareth Edwards' iconic shirt from that day. It's been auctioned, along with a collection of Gareth's old shirts, by Rogers Jones Auctioneers based in Cardiff. Ben Rogers Jones explained more. So this is an auction of um, Gareth Edwards' jerseys, which include his own jerseys that he wore during some matches of the 60s and 70s, but also jerseys that he swapped because everybody wanted to swap with Gareth. So there are 39 lots, 38 are rugby jerseys, and there's one lot of Gareth's Superstars t-shirts. So um, that's where we're at. And of course the highlight is that Barbarian shirt. We're an amazing sporting icon, yeah. You know, it, it, it's up there with Pele's Brazil shirt and, and Bobby Moore's England jersey. It, it really is a sporting icon. Now you sold Dave Gallagher's All Blacks jersey for 180000 That's the world record for a rugby jersey. What are you thinking and hoping for this one? It's such a difficult question. I mean, estimates have to be put down for an auction. But the problem is that they're all unique, these objects. You can't really compare to be absolutely certain of, of an estimate. But we put 150 to 200000 My hope, in fact, I would go as far as my expectation is that we will break the world record. I think the difference between the Gallagher jersey and the Barbars jersey is the Gallagher jersey 
was historic. It's in early rugby, 1905. Gallagher was well-known in New Zealand, well-known within the sort of rugby history circle. But this jersey is far, far better known across the world. I mean, Gareth talks about being in the middle of Russia on a fishing trip and they bring up the Barbar's try. You know, this is a sporting icon which really is like no other rugby jersey. It's got worldwide appeal and... It's now come to the point where it's 50 years, you know, it's getting to that sort of vintage kind of pedigree, you know. A lot of time has lapsed. So I think, fingers crossed, that I think we might just break that record. And there are a lot of shirts here, and as you say, people wanted to swap with Gareth, got Colin Meads, Andy Irving, Bobby Windsor, his own teammate, slightly surreally. So it's not just one shirt. Every single one is a story of Welsh rugby of that period, doesn't it? Exactly, you know, and there's all kinds of stories, you know, and all kinds of backstories, you know. There's the 74 South Africa tour and the Lions jersey is in the auction, Gareth's Lions jersey from that tour. And the backdrop of that, you know, is political. It's racial, it's political, it's notoriety with regards to the 99 call and roughing them up, you know. There's all kinds of stories behind every jersey, as you say, you know, and without exception, in every single jersey on this, in this collection, there is a story. You can pick out a jersey, the Argentina jersey, you know. This is Argentina almost beat the Welsh team. We had Hugo Porters at, at fly half. What a fantastic team. And that match is still remembered to this day in Argentina. You know, there's a story in every single jersey. Colin Meads's New Zealand what? Barbarians jersey. I love the Colin Meads jersey because it's so disheveled. And it came to Gareth later. Colin Meads played two matches for the New Zealand Barbars in 73. But it jersey came to Gareth a little bit later. And it's faded and it has all kinds of strange stains on it. And it just looks like it was worn for maybe years after the match. And the thing about Colin Meads, they say he was a family man first, he was a farmer second, he was a rugby player incidentally. And I should think this match was just something that he wore on the farm and that's why it's faded and, and he was carrying his sheep, one sheep under each arm and that's why he got in such a state. I love that jersey, it's got such character. <laughs> and finally, this is obviously your job, it's a global firm based in Cardiff, but bit of a labour of love by the sound of it as well absolutely yeah yeah I'm into rugby history perhaps um, rather perversely I'm not as into the current rugby as, as I probably should be but I love rugby history <laughs> from the 70s back through the centuries early history of rugby it was a different game but because of what I've just alluded to there's so many stories and yeah rugby history is a, is a big love of mine some lovely nostalgia Next week, we'll be building up to the England game. But until then, from the Welsh Rugby Union podcast, goodbye.